Hi, I'm Kristen Yorka, and welcome to the Wild Wonder Podcast, where we seek to democratize and demystify holistic wellness practices with practitioners in the field. Today, we have energy healer and spiritual teacher, Raki. Welcome, Raki. Thank you. Thank you for having me here, Kristen. So for those of us that don't know, um, I would like for you to describe what exactly energy healing is, because I know when I was first introduced to energy healing through you, over six years ago, I had no idea. And at best, I was a skeptic. So for us lay people, what is a simple way we could begin to connect with exactly what energy healing is? So we are all energy. And we have an energy that flows continuously all the time through us. And we can use this energy for different things, for manifesting, to uh, give out love, to receive love. But we can also use that energy, which uh, is divine energy, by the way, to heal, to heal ourselves and to heal others. And it works just with, with intention. And yeah, we uh, do our energy healings through intention. We use the energy that flows through us to intend to heal. Do you need to be familiar with or adhere to any kind of specific um, spiritual or religious background to do? Absolutely energy? not. Absolutely not. It's something that it's yours. It's, it's who you are and what you are. And you don't need to belong to anything. And you don't need to do any kind of modality of energy healing, for example, Reiki. You don't need any kind of belief system. All you need is intention. Okay. And if you do come from a strongly religious or spiritual background, is it as effective? Yes, <laughs> uh, of course. It's what you, the energy that you put into it. So if you believe it, if you, um, it's not wish or hope, but if you believe it, if you vibrate healing, you can do it. Awesome. Um, I think the first time, and you may or may not know this, but I've written about it before, that the first time we met was because your husband, now husband at the time, was one of my students, and he's now yeah. a great yoga teacher in his own right. Yeah. Um, he had invited me and as a favor to him, I went, but full disclosure, I wasn't expecting anything because I was a complete energy healing skeptic. Like the most I did was Google, like what is energy healing? And then I was like, I don't get it. So I thought I was just going to sit and maybe meditate for an hour and that'd be cool. I, I was cool with that and, and maybe meet some nice people and then go. Um, but the actual experience blew me away. Um, on a, on a physical level, it blew me away. I, I like felt differently. Um, and I'm not going to go too much into it because I think everybody's experience is different, but it definitely yeah. changed my perspective of energy healing. And there was something specifically not during the first energy healing session I had with you that you said, but later on when I interviewed you for another piece that you said that someone was draining my energy or was tied to me and taking my energy and that immediately perked up. I'm like, yes. And how many exactly? Because <laughs> I believe there's more than one. Um, and that's when we first start, when I first heard this idea of the narcissist empath dynamic, which, um, which I think a lot of people, maybe they don't know, know about, but they know about it because they've kind of feel like they've lived through it. Specifically, I think it's interesting that this episode, when I went to promote it on Facebook and, and social media and stuff, people were sharing it, but secretly. It was <laughs> like I was, I was seeing like the behind the scenes. Um, I, don't worry, I don't know who shared it with whom, but I <laughs> like that it was like secret shares and messages. So I think it might be a bigger thing than we really realize. So yeah. That's why I wanted to dive into this topic specifically today. Um, I think it's a, something that a lot of people have gone through or are going through. Um, and I'd like to start with um, me being the ex-journalist that I am. I love to start with definitions. Um, so we have a working definition of what exactly um, we're talking about for those of us that don't know. Um, this particular dynamic, I think, is difficult to define. And I think one of the reasons it's difficult to define is we don't want to 
put people into boxes and kind of other them, right? Like yeah, I'm good, or, they're bad. Or judge right? them. Yeah. Right, or judge them in any way. So I'd like to start with actually the, um, the history of the word narcissist. I, I think most of us know it comes from the myth of narcissists. And I'm gonna read here. Um, it, it says, according to Tsitsis, he was a Laconian hunter who loved everything beautiful. Narcissist was proud in that he disdained those who loved him. I'll repeat that again because I think it's important to the conversation. He disdained those who loved him, causing some to take their own lives to prove their devotion to his striking beauty. Does that call out to you as well? That's extremely exaggerated, but yes, <laughs> it definitely defines a narcissist. But it's extremely exaggerated, yes. Right. I mean, but in yes, psychology, it's bigger than life, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes, yes. So I wanted to, just touching on that, um, yeah. in the disdain of those that loved him, or there's this idea of the narcissist actually disliking the other or the person they're mm -hmm. in relationship with, whether that's a romantic relationship or it's a uh, work mm -hmm. relationship or, you know, father, daughter, mother, son, whatever. I want to know in particular how we, as women, and we could talk about as men as well, but we, since we are women, how are we women taught this in our own cultures? Like, how are we taught this version of love? If you could speak to that. Well, so there's the empath and then there's women mm -hmm. all, all together. Mm -hmm. We are taught to, to be loving. Mm -hmm. And I hate to say this, but to be servant and to, and then there's the aspect of religion. I know I come from a Christian background or a Catholic background where you have to be good or a good Christian or so loving, motherly, uh, accepting, uh, helping. So all these things set up women to fall into uh, dangerous behavior, uh, but definitely empathic work. I, and I'll tell you this later that I hate mm -hmm. the term empath and I'll correct it in a second. Right. But it, it puts empath women mm -hmm. in a lot of danger. Right. So Especially I think in the in the in a relationship with a narcissist. Yes. And I think what you're saying about the word empath, I too have um issue with the word empath. Especially I do. You want me um, to get into that? You can. Go ahead. Okay. So you you talked about the history about narcissism and it's been accepted as a psychological term, as a psychological disorder. And I believe it's narcissistic personality disorder, right? Mm -hmm. And you described really well <laughs> in summary what that is, which is a person who is very concerned with themselves, um, uh, that's very arrogant, that has a sense of superiority, superiority, leadership, authority, and in reality, it's a false sense, and it sounds, and we, you said that we're not going to be here and judge, right? These right. are titles that we're giving to people, but it, we don't, or we shouldn't judge, because people who are narcissists are narcissists because of the life experiences that they have lived. It's a self-defense mechanism to experiencing heartbreak, uh, experiencing uh, abandonment. So because of the lack of love, they want to hang on to things with a sense of authority and control and manipulation, right? Mm -hmm. Empaths, on the other hand, they're not opposites, by the way, but empath is a spiritual or a psychic uh, term. So it's not psychological in any way. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure it's being studied now, but that I know psychology has not taken in the term. Right. Uh, it's, so I said it's a spiritual term used to describe people who, when in reality are, is highly clairsentient. And I don't know if you ever heard that term before. I was actually going to ask you about that because there is a correlation 
using the spiritual term of empath and a certain um, set of sensibilities. And I know a lot of people in the spiritual community call them the clairs, right? Yeah. So if you could describe to us what um, some person that is extremely empathic or a highly sensitive person, what are some of these characteristics that they would um, have? Okay, so we are all intuitive. We are all psychic. We just receive um, energy or information in different ways. A highly clairsentient person receives information through their feelings. We all heard the term clairvoyance, for example. That's a person who clearly sees. You receive information and energy through your visions, through sight, through uh, visual premonitions. Clairsentients feel. They feel physically and they feel emotionally a lot. And that's the word, that's the key word, because we all feel uh, highly clairsentient people or empaths feel a lot, feel deeply. And not only do we feel our own emotions and our own physical self, but we feel everything. We feel what we're feeling, plus the energy in the environment, the energy that uh, from other people, the energy from spirit, <laughs> from the spirit realm. I told you this was a, a spiritual term, right? right? So you can imagine it's extremely overwhelming to be feeling so much. And what it feels like on a day-to-day, -day, uh, for example, you walk into the supermarket and you feel anxious. So that's the feeling that you can probably pick up on and identify. You feel anxiety. But what an empath is feeling and doesn't know, especially if they don't know this information, is that they're actually feeling the emotions of the person who's stressed out because they can't find the item that they're looking for, the person who's stressed out because they're in a hurry uh, or upset because the cashier is going too slow, and you're feeling all these emotions at once, and it's very overwhelming. Yep. So if I could interrupt for a second, yeah. I think that is the danger, and you correct me if I'm wrong. That's the danger for a person that is highly empathetic to be in relationship with a person with narcissism or a narcissistic personality disorder. And I think it's because they feel so deeply the other person, they begin, if they're not careful or if they don't know, they begin to lose themselves. So I'm going to backtrack a little back into Greek mythology for a second. Um, because the first time we hear this this term, narcissism or narcissists, it um, is in the book of Ovid, book three, if anybody's following along and geeking out on Greek mythology right now, like I am. Um, it's in the Meta Metamorphosis, book three. And it's the story of Narcissus and Echo. So Echo, this beautiful, um, she's not quite a goddess. She's a, um, a um, I'm going to look that up. She's a, like a demigod. And she's in the forest and she falls in love with the beautiful narcissist. And he, in his cruelty, keeps forcing her to do more and more and more. Mm. And she keeps serving and serving and serving and trying to be exactly the person that she feels he needs. And in doing so, she eventually becomes just an echo of herself. So that's a story of echo and, and narcissist. Um, so I think there, the one of the dangers in this dynamic is a loss of self for yes. the person that is highly empathetic. Yeah, a loss of self, low self-esteem, feeling of being completely lost. If you cannot identify the behavior and get out in time, or corrected in time, yes. There's one more twist to this, uh, Kristen, if you allow mm -hmm. me to explain. Sure, please. So you have, thank you. So you have that uh, overwhelmness of feeling, feeling, feeling. When it comes to the relationship with a narcissist, you're feeling their, and remember how I said that they are the way they are because of their life experiences. So they can, or we are able to feel their sadness. So we are able to understand them, which is also very dangerous. Very dangerous. <laughs> so here's the twist. Empaths or highly clairsentient people are 
also hold one uh, life purpose in common. And the life purpose of, of an empath or a highly clairsentient person is to help others. Meaning they are the way they are because it's a gift and not a burden. And so the overwhelmness is not what you should be focusing on, what you should be focusing is that you can help others. But it becomes dangerous because narcissists need a lot of help. And uh, by the way, narcissists are attracted to empaths by nature of their energy and empaths because of their life purpose to help the others are very attracted to narcissists. Let, let me help you. Let me love you. Let me save you. These are the natural uh, desires of the empath. But the narcissist needs somebody to drain energy out of. You want to help me? Yes, do it. Help me. And I'll have you right there in control, manipulated. And in the meantime, I'll destroy your self-esteem. So in reality, empaths who are listening, you're never going to help a narcissist by giving, 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 or trying to help, 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 help. What you're doing is enabling a narcissist. Right. So I think what you're describing is the codependent relationship between yes. narcissists and the highly empathic person. Yeah. Um, and I and so in this relationship, if we if we can agree that every relationship is, in fact, in agreement or an exchange. Right. Then can you read? I know you just said it, but I want to clarify what exactly is the exchange here in this type of relationship? Energy. Energy. Uh, so you what the narcissist is draining out of you is that positive energy. Uh, and in return, the empath is drained. Uh, their own energy, will, which you already mentioned, their own energy will dim. They will get lost. They themselves could feel uh, depression, sadness, uh, feelings of being overwhelmed. So it's an energy exchange. So the narcissist is getting the energy from the highly empathic person. What is that? And the highly empathic person, are they gaining us? If they're gaining anything at all, are they gaining a sense of self by being in that role of the person that is able to give? In other words, being the, the good person or the better half, the support I system? I, I see. I see what you're getting at. And, and mm -hmm. yes, I have felt it too. Okay. It, but it's a, it's a, false sense of of being that good girl that you right. were taught to be that's what you're getting at yes right. and I definitely hadn't thought about that but I now that you mention it yes because it's a false sense because what you should be looking out for is for yourself right right you which goes kind of counterintuitive to that good girl right. belief system yeah. right yes from the way that women are raised mm -hmm. Uh, women should be raised love yourself, take care of yourself, uh, be conscious and aware of your energy, of your health, and then give to others. In reality, women or men, you cannot give what you don't have. Absolutely. And since we are here speaking at born into these Latin American bodies, um, do you think there is a difference in our cultural upbringing that may lead us to more strongly adhere to this idea of um, womanhood being the good, supportive, kind of docile one behind the scenes, that the constantly giving and selfless person. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I, I mean, I can't speak to the white American experience or the African experience, but I and, and if we believe that we were born into these bodies for a reason, could could part of the lesson be to maybe re reaffirm or like to untie these these lessons we've been taught? Yes, and um, I'm trying to think of that because there's a term for it. But putting yourself first is what we should be rethinking and changing, taking care of your energy, and actually um, creating healthy boundaries. 
which is the way for an empath or a highly clairsentient person to finally break that spell <laughs> that we are under, to be servant and to give too much. And it does um, feel like a spell because yes. if you've ever been in a highly toxic um, relationship with, or a victim of narcissistic abuse, I believe that you you lose yourself to a point which you've described that once you're on the other side of it, you're like, oh my God, where did that two years go, 10 years go? Who was that person back there? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And I like, the, you know, I know we're talking a lot about the empath side, um, mm. how to heal the empath or how to get the empath to wake up and create positive changes. And it's, it's also because it's harder for a narcissist to identify themselves as a narcissist. If you probably yeah. tell a narcissist that they are one, okay. they'll become defensive and they tell you you're the one that has the problem. Yeah. So, yes. <laughs> Let's speak to that because I think we're, we're talking about breaking the cycle, right? And mm -hmm. being able to get out while we still can. Um, but, and I'll just speak from personal experience when I felt like I finally like stood my ground and set proper boundaries, there is a pushback and sometimes a yeah. very violent pushback yeah. that um, the person on the other side may not be prepared for. Yes. And okay, so let me speak to that. Mm -hmm. So if you feel, if you're listening and you feel that you're an empath, a highly crescentian person, and that you are stuck in a narcissist empath, relationship. Your way out of this is creating healthy boundaries. And what are boundaries is identifying what your values are. And what is that? How do you feel? So ask yourself, how do I feel about a person who talks to me this way? Uh, what do I want in my, what do I feel I want out of my relationships? So I want people to be respectful of me. So make a list of what you like, what you don't like, what you feel, these are your boundaries. And once you have your boundaries identified, guess what? You need to become assertive. So you're in, your, in the middle of your life experience with a narcissist and they call you a name. And that's on your list of, and that should be on your list of no <laughs> way, not allowed. That's a boundary for sure but he does it. Then the next step is for you to become assertive. Do not speak to me that way. I actually should probably be stronger than this. I'm not very <laughs> not good at it. But... <laughs> like, please don't well, speak to me that way. It's, it's <laughs> different when you're in the heat of it, right, right. but it's do not. And by the way, it doesn't need to be mean-spirited in any way. Just speaking your truth, your voice, letting your voice come out. And like you mentioned, that person's going to push back. Why? Because you've been a servant the whole relationship. And this doesn't need to be a romantic relationship. It could be mother, child, like you said. It could be friendships. It could mm -hmm. be people who you work with. So you're going to speak up and be assertive. You're going to watch the pushback. Before you, before you start practicing this, give yourself, and here's where the magic is, consequences. I will give this person three uh, tries or uh, and if by the third time they do not correct the behavior, the consequence is blank. And know that sometimes the consequence is creating distance. And how and do we, sorry, yeah. if I could just ask one question. Yeah. Sometimes um, in this dynamic, like you mentioned, you're losing sense of self. If you're in a yeah. in a place where you feel very little self-worth, I find it difficult to then find the energy to be assertive and then stick to your guns. Can you just speak for a moment on how you develop that? Because I think that's maybe very difficult for some people. Okay, so that's that's a tough one. Um, through a lot of self-search, and that's why I said first you need to identify what your values are, and 
hold the intention to finally break free from the cycle. And at first, like we, we said, the voice may not come out strong enough, mm-hmm. but you're giving people three tries, you know, right. you're giving people enough time to adjust to this new you. So it, getting really um, in touch with who you really are, who you want to be, how you want to carry yourself, and then practicing things like meditation things like yoga it's it's a lot of inner work so Mm -hmm. that will help a lot um but really i getting in touch with what your values are and then practicing i believe you're speaking to living in integrity correct living yes in adherence to your highest values yes yes and that's of the throat chakra as you know but first, and we need to know what those are. <laughs> yeah. So it's letting your voice out, and your voice should be speaking of who you are, who you really are. First comes the identifying who am I, and that's identifying what your values are, and then practicing living who you are. And in this uh, type, or in this example, is through expression. Practice, practice. You can do it. And even even um, when you speak and you're speaking assertively and you're speaking in your values, there's still a chance that not only you'll 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 definitely get some kickback, but there's other times that I've seen not only in my own life but seeing other people that the the person with potentially narcissistic disorder will not accept what your reality of the world and continue yes. to live as if you never said anything. Yes. And that's why I said you have to have thought of what the consequences are going to be. And a lot of the times the consequence is distance, either by ending the relationship or temporarily finding distance between you and your family or looking for a new job if it's your relationship with people that have work so distance and it could be like i mentioned temporary distance and then let's give this a try again let's see if you learn your lesson because this is the new me or permanent distance and if mm-hmm. it's somebody who is uh narcissistic and in denial of what they are maybe permanent distance leaving the relationship may be the answer Yes. But going through with your consequences. Yeah, I think, I mean, we're speaking it out now, but um, I just like to acknowledge the the weight of what you just said and how difficult it might be for some people to even step one, acknowledge that they're in this kind of dynamic. And take it step by step. You know, first is the awareness and the realization of I may be highly crescentian when I go to a concert I feel anxious when I, um, what's another, when I have, uh, when I go to family reunions or Thanksgiving dinner, it feels very overwhelming to me. And then identifying who are the narcissists in your relationships Mm -hmm. and then identifying what your values are and then getting the courage to be assertive and to create boundaries. So very easily said and at first, very hard to practice, mm-hmm. but I don't know if, if it's your experience, Kristen, but for me, it, well, my realization was a few years, quite a few years ago, mm-hmm. so, but today is a lot easier. Yes, yes. To yes. be assertive. Yes. So it's something that with practice, you become better and better at. I do have an issue, or it's harder for me when it comes to, let's say, family, like my immediate family, like if my mom asks me to do something mm-hmm. and my loss, my list of things to do is long, I still kind of squeeze her in and prioritize her things. And that's when I'm like, oh, yes, remember to say no. <laughs> right. Oh, by the way, learn to say no, empaths. Learn to say no. That's part of being assertive too. And, and I think um, I can only speak to my own experience, but the whole saying no thing um, might be easier. Like for, for me, it's much easier one part of my life than it is for another or with certain people. Um, I'm yeah. very good at saying no in business. I'm like, no, go, I don't mm-hmm. need to do that. But the second a, a relationship feels more intimate to me, then it takes more for me to, 
to really say no um, yeah. or with certain people. Yeah. Um, and I think we also need to acknowledge the, the time because I think at least I like to think that I'm going to have this realization and immediately I'm going to see results and be a miraculously new mm -hmm. emboldened and empowered woman. But it's, I think it's healthy to remind myself that this is a process and it's not just going to be like from one day to another that this problem will be solved. Yep, that's right. It, it takes practice. So, and this is what I teach my students too. So this is knowledge. We just gave you knowledge. Knowledge becomes wisdom when you start to practice what you know. It's Can you repeat that? Knowledge, knowledge becomes wisdom. Becomes when you practice what you know. Right. Very true. <laughs> so I'd like to step back a second. Um, yeah. And I kind of want to know where both, so we have the highly empathic person and we have the person with um, narcissism. Are, is it true to say that they are both operating from a place of loss and scarcity? Yes. Can you speak to that? Yes, yes. And it's for both lack of self-love. Okay. So, uh, the and it's different. The narcissist would be lack of of self love because of the life experiences they've had, and then for an empath, is because of that feeling of of or because of that feeling too much, uh, and their their calling of their life purpose to help help help, and we empaths put ourselves at the bottom of the priority list and put that life purpose without even knowing mm -hmm. ahead of ourselves. But it, it's for both types of people, it is lack of self-love. Interesting. I didn't see it that way. Um, although I did think that the highly empathic person is looking to fix all the time. Well, that's the life purpose, right? <laughs> putting putting that before loving themselves or taking care of themselves first. Do you think for the highly empathetic person, there's also a sense, kind of like, and I guess the closest thing comes to, as like an imposter syndrome, like I should be so good, but like their ideal self and the what what they think they are right now is kind of there's some space between. So maybe there's some self-doubt um, about how good they are, not to use that word, but about how how much they're living into this life purpose or their ideal self. What do you mean? I, I think that's <laughs> <laughs> so is um, maybe it's just me. But it feels as though some highly sensitive people or empath empathetic people have a self-ideal or a person they would like to be or a standard of being yeah. that they being feel good. being good, right? Yeah. And helpful and being the one that fixes everything. And then when they don't meet that standard or they or they judge themselves for being not close enough to that ideal, they lose some self-worth. Yeah. Uh, yes, and and hopefully they come out of it. And so I get a lot of clients with this kind of behavior too, and it's what I call the um, earth angels, you know. And I tell people, you are a human being. <laughs> you are not an angel. <laughs> You're not here to be an angel. And that's also a huge misconception in the spiritual realm that um, to be good and help and help and help. Uh, you are a human being and who comes first is yourself. You cannot give what you don't have. Mm -hmm. But yeah, there's that period of time where it, it hits or affects how you feel about yourself or a sense of failure in a way. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for validating me. <laughs> <laughs> no. I'm going to... Um, 
go back into the definitions because um, because I love definitions. And secondly, <sighs> because I came across, I, I like you, I hate the definitions I find for empaths or empathy. And yeah. but there was a there was a spin that I found that might be helpful to someone. So I, I would just like to read. This is from the Britannica and it says narcissism in Freudian psychiatry and psychoanalysis. The term narcissism denotes an excessive degree of self-esteem or self-involvement, a condition that is usually a form of emotional immaturity. So I think that speaks to what you said. It was a, an effect of their life experience. Something happened maybe in their younger years. Yeah. that kind of stunted them in that developmental stage of me first, or it was a self-defense mechanism. I'm just re reiterating what you said. Hopefully mm -hmm. it, it forced them into this space that in order to protect myself, I must think of me first always. Correct. Yeah. All right. So we're on yeah. the same page. And then yeah. the empathy one I found very interesting. This is from Marian Webster. The first part I think is common. The second part is what intrigues me. The first says the action of understanding, being aware of, being sensitive to, and vicariously experiencing the feelings, thoughts, and experience of another, of either the past or present, without having the feelings, thoughts, and experience fully communicated in an objectively explicit manner. Oh. Right? So <laughs> almost no boundaries, right? Falling into yeah. somebody else's life experience um, yeah. and not being able to distinguish yeah. where you start and they start or you end and they end. But here's what I found very, it perked my interest. The second definition is the empath, the imaginative projection of a subjective state into an object. So the object appears to be infused with it. So I think what it's saying is that there's an aspect of a highly sensitive person that has a desire to project their image of the person into the person. That's very interesting because mm -hmm. I, I, you know, being one myself, I can identify with that. I used yes. to say it was like rose-colored glasses, right? I only saw the best of this person. Yeah. Right? This person could be hurling insults at me and be like, but they're so kind to the dog, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. It's, it's, it's our own kind of psychosis, our projection, which could be really beautiful. I think when you do the work you do or do the work I do, which is to see the best in people and help them bring yeah. that out. I think it's destructive, like you said, or dangerous when you allow it to just be sucked out of you when you're just projecting this beautiful image on a person so that they can take more from you. Yeah. Um, yeah. Another definition. Um, yeah. <laughs> so this is really interesting. I'd like to speak to this. So this is from the online etymology dictionary, which I am a big fan of, if you like words. Um, it says, empathy was first seen as a term for, from a theory of art appreciation that maintains appreciation depends on the viewer's ability, again, to project his personality into the viewed object. So you see, it, it starts talking about manipulation too, or control too. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. And I see it. I see it. Right. So I think it's a way to like, we have, to, I believe healing, we have to take responsibility as well. Um, mm -hmm. So if we're, if we're saying we're highly empathetic people, then mm -hmm. I, I believe using these definitions, what we also have to take responsibility for is our own actions, which is projecting an image onto another person that mm -hmm. may not actually exist. Trying to be controlled and manipulative in a different way, but yes. Yeah. A narcissist does not want help, not the help that you want to give. You want your energy. And you cannot force them into being who you want them to be. Exactly. <laughs> Amen to that. Thoughts around the world take that in. <laughs> you cannot change a person into who you want them to be. No. In any spectrum of life yeah yeah but narcissists wants help they first have to realize that they are one they have to get serious in wanting change and they need to go get professional help um so including energy healings yoga 
going to see a counselor or a psychiatrist or psychologist, but a girlfriend cannot cure a narcissist. A sister or brother cannot cure a narcissist. Your coworker cannot cure a narcissist. A coworker narcissist. So it has to be done by somebody else, somebody mm -hmm. out of the relationship. And I've actually read it's one of the most difficult um, psychological um, disorders to yeah. try to improve. Yeah. Why do I don't? Why do you think the that denial, is the, the denial, denial of it, the denial? It's very hard for a narcissist to see there's something wrong with themselves, and they will always turn it around and blame you or whoever it is that is accusing them of being wrong because of this and this and that. Because in in a way, it's a death, right? It's a denial of their whole belief system in a way. Yeah. Yeah. It's and and what they've worked so hard to portray, which is a sense of authority and uh, leadership, a big ego, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So speaking, going back one second, mm -hmm. we can't change the narcissist not ourselves, unless we are professional psychoanalysts that have a lot of time on our hands and are being paid to do so. Yeah. Um, but I'd like for you to describe, like, uh, I want you to think of a very specific example of how an empath thinks they are helping, but are actually not. A uh, specific example? I'm well, like, I made up <laughs> Not like, oh, down the street was doing. <laughs> um, no, I can't think of specific examples. I'm terrible at that. But it's, <laughs> but it's that sense of I will save you, I will heal you. On a day-to-day -day, uh, way, in a day-to-day -day basis, it will look like, uh, by the way, an, an empath is able to feel uh, the narcissist, uh, they, we can, we're able to tap into beyond the made up right. big ego that they portray, mm -hmm. right? So we know that they need safe, or we feel we can sense that they need to be saved, that they need to be healed. So the narcissist uses that. So the narcissist is real with the empath. So they'll tell you their life stories. When I was little, I experienced this. And here you are wanting to cuddle them in. Oh, I'm so sorry for what you lived through. So that's, you know, the kind of language or the kind of activity that happens between an empath and a, and a narcissist. And I think that, I think you just hit the key as to the shame and guilt that comes after you've broken or gotten out of a toxic narcissistic relationship there at least in my own experience and of people i've spoken to there seems to be a lot of guilt and shame after yeah. the fact because i think is what you said you're able to see exactly what they're energetically feeling or feel what they are feeling or have gone through and in a way by breaking this relationship you now feel like you're almost doing a disservice to them or you should have done more or you're ashamed that you failed in your mission somehow to help yeah. this person you you failed at your life purpose whether you are aware what your life purpose is or not but you feel it you sense it you uh, fail to be that good person that you set yourself up to be. You fail to heal them, fix them, and save them. And not only do you feel this way, but you have that narcissistic person telling you that you failed, you abandoned <laughs> them. So the, that shame and guilt is being, and this is, by the way, emotional and verbal abuse. Okay, so uh, so you're being reminded that you failed, you failed, you did this, you are the bad one. But no, guys, you should come first. Your health comes first. Relationships should be easy, 
should be happy, should be loving. And since we're empaths, let's talk about feelings. Relationships should feel good. I always say, and this is after many toxic relationships and after uh, meeting my husband now, I finally was able to say love should feel like freedom. Yeah. Whereas if you asked me 10 years ago, I would have said, no, love is a sacrifice, you know, kill me on the pyre, you know, I, you know, and absolutely wrong, right? But it is what we're taught. We're being reminded in movies. That's what it is. We're like, since Shakespearean times, Romeo and Juliet, kill yourself for love and everything should be okay. Um, But when we're actually in a healthy, loving relationship, then you feel free. You feel free and you feel balanced. The love that you give, you're actually receiving it back. Yes. Balance is everything. If, if the love, the giving and receiving is not balanced, it's not going to work out. Yeah. So and why do freedom? You... Sorry. No, no, go, 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 go. That you speak of, by the way, and this is how I define soulmates. I don't, I don't like any titles, by the way, mm-hmm. but it's how we are able to communicate with each other so that we understand right. each other. So that soulmate of yours, uh, it shouldn't be because you, um, it's, what is it that we usually define them as? Um, you fall in love and it's who you're attracted to. No, it should be the person who supports you, supports you in who you are. So it allows you to be free and supports you on your life purpose, whether mm-hmm. you know it or not, or whether they know it or not. And you are supposed to be that person to them. Right. That is love. That is soulmates. Mm-hmm. Agreed. I yeah. also, um, when we meet this um, person or we in a loving relationship, maybe it's not a loving relationship. Maybe it's um, you find the perfect job or, or whatever it is. There's still some like post-traumatic stress disorder that comes from having lived through this type of toxic relationship. Is it a lifelong process of healing? Or do you think we eventually get to a point where like, oh my God, I'm finally free. I could like live out my life without having to second guess myself or fall into these um, past... um, Healing healing comes depending on how much you've worked on your healing. And and yes, there is that sense of PTSD. And um, you'll heal when you are ready to. And you could decide at any moment, by the way, my intention is to heal or to begin healing. The problem with the empath is that it's in our nature to want to have this uh, unhealthy behavior. So you're going to have to be really strong with yourself. So it, um, it reminds you constantly of the consequences of not putting yourself first, of mm-hmm. allowing others to drain your energy. And now that I mentioned that, let me just mention this. It's, it's not empaths not only have unhealthy relationships with narcissists, but with a bunch of other... <laughs> Oh yeah, <laughs> people who drain energy, for example, energy vampires, and I'm sure you'll probably talk about that one day. Yeah, <laughs> that's a whole other like, show. <laughs> that's a whole other subject. But just people in general who like to take advantage of people who give and give and give. But yeah, healing comes with time. You have to intend to heal. You have to work on it, and there will be time to time where you'll be reminded of the time that you were not putting yourself in first, but that reminder should keep you also uh, healthy in the future. Yeah. So if we think of this, if we can come into agreement that we're born into this life and we're in this earth school, Mm -hmm. in this dynamic, what is the lesson learned for each person? Self-love. (laughs) Self-love. Which is huge. Do you think it's huge for all empaths to, is that a big life lesson for all people that are highly empathetic? Yes, that is the main lesson for the empath. Self-love, putting yourself first, 
you cannot give what you don't have. I'll keep repeating it. So yeah. six no, minutes. good. Keep because that's that's the the main lesson here. And and it's achievable for both people. Yeah, it's a, yes. Healing is achievable, and so is living out your life in a healthy way. You'll find, like we mentioned before, that you may have some weaknesses to certain people, but then you can remind yourself to say no or to be more assertive. You don't have to be perfect, but you can conquer these things and you can learn your life lessons. I think what you just said there is important. Um, there's a need um, for continuously reminding yourself of how much you love you love yourself and it's a kind of a radical self-love. You have, I think what you're saying is you have to, or maybe I'm putting words in your mouth and you could tell me that too. But I think mm -hmm. what you're saying is that you have to love even the aspects of yourself that you see as imperfect. Um, well, yeah, that, that comes into like that. That's also true. But what I, yes, I'm not saying no. <laughs> no, no, no. But what I also meant is putting yourself first. No your health, your happiness, your self-esteem is more important than others because you cannot give to others what you don't have. And then how do we help the world if we have nothing to give? Right? Yeah. How do we live out our life purpose? Mm -hmm. Is there anything else you'd like to say? I was planning on talking for 30 minutes and we went for an hour. So. <laughs> <laughs> I love talking and to you, Kristen. Thank you, me too. Um, we could probably go for another an hour. Forever, forever. <laughs> don't get but, me started because uh, I don't know how to stop. That's okay. We'll we'll do a part two soon. Yeah, um, we'll go into energy vampires and the whole thing. Um, but I was wondering if is there anything that we maybe didn't touch on that you think is valuable for people listening to know? I think we 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 said it. Oh, I mean, there are other things that we can mention, like how do you help an empath who is, for example, to use the same example that I said to, to go shopping, to, if you're feeling overwhelmed, picking up all these external energies, energies that are not, so how do you fix that or how you make that better? Well, would you like me to like go into yes, it? Yes, please. So I could, I think I could do it quickly. So first off is becoming aware of, of what your energy is. So how do I feel today? Today I actually feel happy. And if you don't, by the way, go do something to make yourself feel happy. <laughs> so becoming aware of your energy. And then, so if today I'm feeling happy and I went shopping and all of a sudden I feel anxious or sad or angry or overwhelmed, becoming aware of when your energy shifts and then asking yourself, why did it shift? Why am I upset? Am I did I experience something that made me upset or does it make no sense? Because it's then and there that you've picked up somebody else's energy. So starting to become aware of when you are picking up others' energy or the environment's energy. So if you walk into a room and it all of a sudden feels tense, it may be because the people in the room don't like each other or they just had an argument. <laughs> I think we've all felt that. Yeah. I don't know if we've all, but I definitely have because yeah. I'm an empath. <laughs> so identifying where your energy is and when it shifts so that you understand that you're not actually upset or that the anxiety is not really yours. And then intending to release other people's or the environment's energy, releasing energy that's not yours. It's a great exercise for, and I don't know if you want me to go into it, and I could try to be quick about it. Sure, sure. <laughs> so um, the energy that belongs to us, that is uh, the energy of my personal energy, actually, if you could see it, if you could see human auras, and by the way, it's very easy to do, you will see that it ends right at an arm's, arm's length. Uh, maybe a little bit more, maybe a little bit less, depending on what your energy feel is at the moment, but it's about that long. And it's all around you. And this is what I call, and other people call, the bubble or your bubble. 
And if you ever had somebody stand too close to you or walk up to you and stand too close to you, you feel that it feels uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And you'll say, step away from my bubble or get out of my personal space. And that's actually an clairsentient feeling of energy. Somebody came into my personal energy. So what you can do to protect this thing that is yours, your energy, is to visualize yourself in a bubble. The bubble already exists is your energy, but you're going to use visualization to make it strong, to seal it, and so that other people's energy bounces off of it. So that's uh, uh, an exercise that you can do, and with practice, you get really, you can get really good at it. You're about to walk into Publix, put your bubble on. So visualize yourself inside a bubble. I actually do that often in the mornings, and but since I'm a more kinetic person, I actually do movement. I like create my bubble oh, with my funny. hands or with smoke because I have to be moving to be able to feel it. Um, okay. Also visualization, but I feel for okay. people that are more uh, movement oriented, I think it really helps to be able to like build it. Okay, that's great. And yes, <laughs> I, I noticed that my students uh, create different ways that works work for them you know so that's great that's actually good thanks for sharing that because I could start teaching that too uh another thing that's very important for empaths is to recharge your energy and how do empaths recharge is by spending time alone why because you don't have anybody else's energy to deal with and that's when you can recharge and notice how we talked about codependency and this also sounds a lot like introverts and it's my belief that all introverts are actually empaths. Empaths or highly clairsentient or highly claircognizant, which is mm -hmm. another way to receive energy. That's for a different show too. <laughs> and I also like the um, definition of introvert as a person because I never saw myself as an introvert because I can be highly social. But I think the when it was described to me as a person that needs time by themselves or after a certain amount of social time that needs to remove themselves, then I was like, oh, okay, I, maybe I am an introvert. Um, right, right. And, and introverts are not necessarily antisocial. They just like their kind of people mm -hmm. or they choose uh, people by energy whose energy do I like, whether they're aware of it or not? Yeah, I think it's I think a good way to think about it is it's not the person at a party that's working the room and talking to everybody. It's usually the person standing in the corner talking to one person for the whole hour. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we search for people by energy. Whose energy do I like? Whether they know it or not, that's what they're doing. Right. Yeah. So spending time alone will recharge your energy, will help you feel. So if you ever feel overwhelmed, anxious, you're feeling too much, that's what you go do to recharge, to feel better. Spending time in nature. We could get into crystals too. I could talk forever. No, we all day. Um, but we both have children to get to. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is there anything else you'd like to share before we start to wrap it up? No, 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 I think I, we said a lot, okay. and I'm just um, thankful that you have me here, and I get the opportunity yes, to speak about this, because there is healing in receiving this information, as Absolutely. you know. I think there's also healing in just being able to name it. I think yeah. when we hear another person speak to our experience, it could be profoundly healing, because we don't feel so alone in the situation yeah um especially when we're in a place i i have a feeling that most of the people watching this consider themselves empaths so i'll yeah. speak to them in saying that sometimes when we're in the position that feels like the lesser of the two or we're feeling like we don't have a lot of self-worth somebody just speaking the words to us and validating our feelings and our experience can just lift us up and it's it's a healing experience in that so i thank you for sharing your um, knowledge and your wisdom and for taking this time with us thank you thank you for having me of thank course you. um now for the audience um i just like to say that there's you're not the only empath in the room um so mm -hmm. if you can <laughs> close your eyes and think of another person that would be so healed by receiving this 
broadcast this knowledge, this wisdom that Rocky shared. Um, close your eyes and if you see them, just send them the link to this video. Um, and if that person is you, then take in this information and we are so grateful you are here. Um, you can find this video, the replay here on Crowdcast. You can find it on YouTube as soon as I upload it. And we're on Spotify and SoundCloud and iTunes. So get it however you like. Um, we're so grateful you're here. And I am so privileged to have Rocky on the show. Thank you so much. Um, I can't wait till we talk again. This was great. Yeah, me too. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Have a beautiful day and get back to your baby. Yes, you too. <laughs> Bye. Bye.